0: Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights, we lift weights and we are mates, on the weekend we go on dates, Weekly
1: Weights, Jim and Boddy! Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to episode 96 of Weekly Weights, I'm Alex Hayes and joining me via Zoom because of isolation is
0: Will Berkman, say hi uh, Will. Hi, we crack just crackalackin' everybody. I feel like I'm hosting you. Yeah. Except there's, I made a massive power play. So all the microphones are in our place or my place, I should say, which means I'm using like the full on quality USB microphone. What are you using Alex?
1: Well, I was trying to use my lapel mic that I use for videos, but mm. it wasn't working. So now I'm using my little headphone mic.
0: Right. So poverty microphones for Alex, full studio experience for me, just the way it ought gonna, to be.
1: I'm going to have to come and pick up one of those other mics.
0: I'll leave them in the letterbox, man. Just make sure you wear rubber gloves when you pick it up.
1: Yeah, I'll spray your whole letterbox after I leave too.
0: Actually, on that note, um, <laughs> so people are like really frowning upon you paying in cash right now, which kind of makes sense because like whatever, you handle money, you don't know who's handling money. I haven't heard that. Yeah, so like a lot of places are trying to are trying to say, don't pay cash, only pay card. But like cash is legal tender. You're actually legally obliged to accept it for the settlement of a debt. Um and so unless there's been some change to that provision, pretty much people should be accepting cash if you go to pay it. But, um, but what I found really funny was like prior to the lockdowns, but when it was starting to get obviously pretty serious, I went to a coffee shop near Steed, one of the gyms I work at, and went to buy a skim latte or whatever. And it was like four bucks. So I pulled out a five buck note and gave it to this lady. And she had a holster on her hip with a can of disinfectant on it. And she took my note with like just the barest bit of contact between two fingers, held it up and literally goes like, Shh, and sprayed it all over with disinfectant and then shook it out and left it on the counter to rest. And she goes to me, Oh, it's nothing personal. And then turned around and like washed her hands really thoroughly after I'd given her money. And I was like, Holy shit. Like
1: the world. Cool, listeners appreciate, appreciate that shush as well.
0: Yeah, everyone, well, wearing mate, head,
1: everyone wearing headphones is cursing you out uh, now, Burke.
0: Yeah, sorry, guys. Look, when I when I edit this, I'll put it through the compressor and hopefully that'll be a bit less less brutal. That and the DSR Alex, you'd know what those are if you ever edited the podcast. But... And I did the, I did the first few. <laughs> first <to open> <laughs> We're 96 episodes in. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, today's episode is gonna be maybe depressing, maybe inspiring. Maybe we'll go through darkness and come to light. But we're going to talk about um, feelings of low motivation, changes in circumstances, obviously like COVID-19 related. But we're also going to give our insight both like personally and as coaches as to, as to what these changes are meaning for us and our clients and maybe some constructive ways that we can approach training at this time. Um, Alex, I started talking and you wanted to jump right in. Is there something you had to say?
1: I'm not sure I did. I didn't want to jump in. We're getting idea from.
0: Hmm? Oh, you just made a bit of a up oh, in the guys you can rewind no, fifteen no. seconds and hear it. I wonder if our <laughs> no, chemistry is going. I wonder if our chemistry is gonna like be down because we're we have this little bit of latency, you know, we don't have that same like electric tension as when we're sitting in the same room and like kinda of pissed at it's each completely other.
1: Great. Completely agree.
0: Well, let's see. So like I said, we're talking about low motivation. We're talking about changes in circumstances. And speaking of somebody who is just not very motivating at the best of times, Alex Hayes, um, what, so given like these gym closures and the change in circumstances and stuff your clients have had, what feelings are your clients expressing to you about training right now? Like, What are some of the barriers that are, that are occurring to them that otherwise normally wouldn't? Well,
1: I think the, there's two sort of main camps. The way that I see this is one is kind of feeling lost and then the other is kind of feeling unsure. So they're different. Well, if you feel, if you're feeling lost, you're like, you've lost your community in that instance. Like you can't go and hang out with all your friends at the gym. You can't go into the gym and see all the people there. Can't train with your coach in person. Just all those, all those conversations and relationships that you have with people inside the gym are just gone now. Right. Mm. And like, you know, you can keep them up with, FaceTime group chats and that kind of stuff. But it's just not the same as like being training in the same room as someone else. So I think that's the first one is the the loss of the community. Um, and then there's being unsure, which is like more like of timelines. Like we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know when comps are going to start again. We don't know whether we should be planning for a competition at all this year or not. Um, those kind of things are what I've gotten the most from my clients. By yourself?
0: Um, I wrote down a few. Um, so, so the first one is like just changes to equipment and training generally. Um, and obviously like if you have a regular gym that you train at, which is almost everybody who trains, then you sort of, you come to be comfortable with the equipment that's at your disposal. You plan your training around it. You develop the habits around that. And when you say to somebody, which is like a decent hunk of my clients, you no longer even have access to a barbell, let alone like your regular barbell and rack and combo, you know, like proper plates and all that stuff. When you when you have those big changes in equipment and say, but oh, we're still going to train productively, that throws people in the deep end. So that creates uncertainty um, and, you know, creates this feeling of like, well, yeah, uncertainty is the best word. Like people don't know whether they're going to be able to train productively. They don't know what the absence of their familiar equipment means to them. And because training becomes unfamiliar, it's like everybody's being thrown back in the deep end of being like just a brand new lifter in the gym,
1: right? Well, it's almost like when you go when you go to a new gym you haven't been to in a new city or something. You kind of like you feel lost. You're like, oh, where's the this machine? Where's the leggy section? Where's whatever? You kind
0: of feel like you're brand new again. Yeah, but when you do that, like, be a similar thing. yeah, but when you do that, often it's like you're like a you know kid in a candy store. You walk in and you're like, wow, there's all this equipment. Where's mm. the thing that I need? Whereas in this yeah. instance, it's like you have nothing. So you're like, it's a big challenge to your, to your sort of like training maturity and training abilities to say, how am I going to be productive with severe limitations? So that's number one. I think think that
1: also ties in with what I was saying about um, uncertainty of timeline is like, it's all okay. If we knew this was going to be four weeks, for instance, you know, if we knew at the start of this, okay, gym's going to be closed for four weeks, you'd be like, okay, cool. I can, you know, tick off X goal, X goal, whatever in four weeks, and then I can go back to the gym. But now we like, we really don't know how long we're going to be training with a dumbbell and a pair of bands. Like we just, we just really have no idea.
0: Yeah. And also I think like, I say this on the podcast a lot, like a lot of powerlifters get into powerlifting because they want to lift heavy weights in the squat bench and deadlift. Mm. And so when, when suddenly a lot of powerlifters being told you don't have access to a bar or a rack or heavy weights, so we're still going to try and train. It's like, okay, that you've taken away that thing that sort of anchors me or like, or is the centre of my identity as a trainee? I think that's a really big barrier for lots of people to overcome because then, like as a coach and an athlete, we then have to start exploring. Well, what is like, what else is meaningful about training to you? How can we do things that are productive and enjoyable and contribute to your like your sense of well-being and enjoyment in training um, without without those things that are like that are are a crutch for us normally. So the change in equipment circumstances is huge. You mentioned, like, loss of competition targets, which, like, aside from aside from making planning harder, also can just be really demotivating. Like, I had a few clients working towards, you know, junior nationals and nationals. I had clients working towards the Fitness Expo. And that's something where we might have already put in eight weeks in the bank of training for any of those goals. And then suddenly that's up in smoke for them. And so to then sort of communicate to them, okay, well, what's been valuable about the training we've done? How can we sort of keep some momentum while we pivot, like, what's, you know, what are we going to do that's going to, uh, that's going to, that's going to, that's going to, to capitalize on the work that we have done is it like, that's an important process, but it's also just a little bit harder when in their mind they're like, well, that thing that was like anchoring my efforts is gone. And like, you know, it feel it feels a little bit meaningless, the work that, that they've done. And I don't believe that that's the case, but that's still something that we have to cover. So that's been a big barrier. And then you mentioned social impacts and the change of training environment and stuff as well. So that's big. Um, and tying them to the change of training environments also just like the change around training rituals. So something that Chrissy mentioned, um, on a zoom call that we were having with my clients, uh, I think earlier this week was like for her, she used to drive the 10 or 15 minutes from home to the gym. And that was her time to like get ready to train. Whereas now you guys have got a nice little setup in your garage, but you literally walk out the door, go down the elevator and you're in the gym. And so like getting yourself in the right mindset to train, when you've already got all that uncertainty about what training is to you anymore and you don't even have those normal rituals that that anchor you that's really hard too and then on top of yeah. that obviously it's just like everybody's feeling a bit down and lost and stuff right now in society because like it's not just training that's been affected it's everything about most of our lives so that's a lot of yeah. stuff that like just naturally feeds into into like a less positive training experience
1: and you mentioned the rituals um, which is something that we spoke about last week in our drunk episode. Um, and I, you want? I was I drunk tipsy. by the end. Oh, I was wasted um, after. It was funny. <laughs> One of the things that um we spoke about was trying to create like a a schedule in the day, just like you would if you you know were working from the office. You know, you know when you're going to train when you're working from the office. Um, you know, just have to pretend like we are and create that same ritual, and try and tick off you know some of the same things that we can before we train that's kind of what I've been trying to do now is like, Oh, I would usually um, have an energy drink and a banana in the car on the way to the gym. And now I'm just kind of putting music in and sitting at the table and having an energy drink and a banana and then walking downstairs. Yeah, sure. So you're like, so it's, you're like tr- it's not, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's like as close as I can get to, you know, unless, unless I just got in the car and drove around the block and back and then got into the garage it's yeah. as close as it can get.
0: I guess other than just giving us like a chance to have a wind shot on client's behalf though, the reason that I wanted to start with, with like listing those barriers that I just spoke about there is like, everybody seems to be experiencing them in one way or another. You know, I have clients who are lucky enough like yourself and Chrissy, for instance, to to have a full on powerlifting style set up just in a different location. And even they, to some degree are finding training less motivating or harder right now. And then I have some clients who are literally like would have called themselves a full on power lifter. And now they have two different types of resistance bands and one kettlebell and they're trying to train inside their inner city apartment. Like, you know, all of them are experiencing some certain things in common. And I guess some of the stuff that we'll talk about today relates to just about every person who considers training a pillar of their life right now.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's go on down the motivation track for yourself then personally, Will. How have you found your motivation has been during this period? Like you've obviously got a similar, you know, not, you don't have a combo rack like we do, but you've got, you know, a good rack, good bench press. You got enough weights you you got a good bar and everything in your little rumpus room.
0: How have you found training during this time? Yeah. Up and down. Um, like, like you said, I'm really lucky. I've got a really good setup. Uh, I got 227 kilos of weights and a barbell. And then I have squat stands and a bench. Um, but my motivation has been up and down. Definitely, in the first week, um, it was really down, and that was partly just because of like the shock of trying to completely change my business model, dealing with the stress that my clients are experiencing, and adapting to that new training space. Um, but since then, since then, I've been quite enjoying training. I guess just training for me, training for me normally, is something that is like even though it's attached to my work, it's still like something that I do that is separate for myself that I really enjoy. And it's hard for me to create that space right now around my training, because all of my days are like feeling very monotonous and there's, you know, I tend to want to train around the middle of the day. Like I do some jobs in the morning, I leave myself some jobs to do in the afternoon and I like segment some time and say I'm going to train at 11am or something prior to lunch or just after lunch, whatever happens to work. Um, but even so in doing that, it just, it doesn't to me feel like there's a firm break around my training that I've created yet. And so that's impacted me a bit. That's number one. And then number two is just because I'm like, I'm not an enormously social trainer generally. Like I don't mind having a training partner or people to talk to, but I don't want to be like bouncing around with 10 people and waiting for them by being completely alone when I train. Um, does feel a little bit less motivating and less confidence inspiring for me. Like I find myself either not really wanting to bother getting started with a, with a set or almost like not wanting to do my third or fourth set here and there, because I'm like, I'd rather just finish this and go have a shower and pat my dog again. Like, so I'd say my motivation's taken a bit of a dive. um, But at the same time, because I do feel so fortunate to train and because there's a lot that I'm really, really enjoying about training in that environment as well. It hasn't been too bad you know, I'm finding my feet pretty quickly. Um, Yeah. yeah, What about you?
1: Yeah, pretty much identical to be honest, man. Like we have, like we've said, we were able to borrow um, a combo rack um, from Paragon. Obviously, Chrissy works there, so she's still paying off um, her rent to Paragon during this time. So we're kind of using the rack as a rental thing. Um, So, we're lucky enough to be able to do that. Uh, we've got enough plates to do anything we could possibly want. And we've got some dumbbells and we're getting like a big adjustable dumbbell thing coming soon. I think that goes from like five to 60 kilos. So that will be helpful with doing a lot more exercises. Um, but yeah, like generally when I get down there, it's, it's kind of, it's quite lonely and like, like you mentioned, you're not a very social trainer, I'm pretty much the opposite of you. Like I like to be around people particularly when my training is hard because I feel like it, you know, that vibe and that kind of energy rubs off positively on my training. Um, So like not having that has been quite difficult and just like not having a spotter, even though I haven't done anything that's like required me to have spots or anything yet, it's like something that feels comforting. And it's like, it feels, um, so what I'm looking for, like, um, normal, I guess, like it feels like expected almost so now like kind of missing this whole part of um my training environment which is like you know getting spots and cues from other people and like just bouncing ideas of other people and helping other people out as they help me and stuff like that just like missing that has been difficult but at the same time like my sessions have gone from two hours to one hour like literally cut in half so that's a, that's positive i, yeah, like I the, think the um the yeah. other thing is like with nationals being so up in the air, like. You know, Wilkes just saying that it's going to go ahead in July, which is definitely not going to happen. Um, <laughs>
0: you like, heard it here first. <laughs> I agree, I'm, but go on.
1: I'm still training, like, you know, JP and I have still framed my training as if we're still training for nationals. But I have a feeling that it'll end up being, you know, October, November or something. And that sort of uncertainty is like kind of a little bit demotivating in that it's not, it's not like definitely happening. And I don't have like a clear timetable. I don't know if you felt the same because like for me, nationals was going to be my big comp this year. And I just had just done testing like two days before the gym closed. Um, And that was like my warm-up comp and I did really well. And then I was like really excited and really like ready to push into nationals. And then it's now it's kind of up in the air, whether it's happening or not. So that's kind of thrown a spanner in it for me a little bit. It's been a little bit. um, It's almost been a bit of a chore to get down there and start training, even though like I'm so lucky and privileged to have, space that we do
0: yeah for me that's kind of true and kind of not true um so like i don't think the thing that anchors me to training anymore at all is competition like i like competing and i was looking forward to going to nationals for a number of reasons um one being that i most enjoy competing at high level competitions um i really like lifting with lifters who are my standard or better than me because like it brings out the best in me and it gives me a chance to actually really like test myself. So I really enjoy that. I was really looking forward to it. And because I've only started working with my coach Bryce this year, um, you know, I was also looking forward to actually building some momentum into that comp and like for the first time in a couple of years, really, really having like a, a protracted constructive training cycle. And we'd also done a mini test on the same day as you and I'd for the most part lifted quite well and felt like I had some things that I could really work on so that so in some ways like I do feel that that same ripping away of of like a potential avenue for me to express the work I've done Mm. but on the other hand um, there's a lot of things that I enjoy about training generally that I'm still able to find in what I do so like I like the I like the self-discovery aspect of training and one of the one of the things in my current training that that allows me to sort of experience that is actually that my equipment's a little bit suboptimal. And that seems really weird. But like, for instance, my squat stands are not stable enough for me to do my normal low bar setup. Like I can't push into the rack and help set my upper back with it. So I've had to modify my setup a little bit for that. Um, As of like, as of today, I fixed my flooring, but my flooring was a little bit squishy, which was also like putting a big premium on my squat balance and things. And when I bench the squat stands, their lowest setting is still too high for me to actually hold my shoulders retracted when I unrack the bar. So I've had to modify my grip, bring it in a little bit and actually put some stuff under my bench to elevate it so I can unrack properly. But then doing that means I can't really bench with an arch or leg drive. So it's almost like pseudo feet up bench. So it's giving me like more chances to feel my shoulder position. That's cute um,
1: acting like you have an arch or a leg drive.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then on my bar for deadlifting the knurling starts out a little bit too wide and i don't have any chalk right now so i've been doing a mixture of like pulling with a wider grip and pulling with straps which are two things that i wouldn't normally do either and so all those little changes you should get some liquid chalk by the way yeah yeah no i'm intending to we got to order some. but like all those little challenges to my normal technique and ritual have meant that like my attention is just directed to little things about my lifting that were weaknesses or habits and stuff that I wasn't aware of. And it's not like, like, say for for instance, having to change my squat setup a little bit, it's not like that actually precludes me doing productive training at all. Like it's just a little quirk in my technique I have to fix. And likewise, like having to work around a slightly different bench setup is completely not a problem in terms of just getting stronger and building my upper body muscle up, right? But but I'm working in imperfect circumstances gives me chances to like learn things about my own lifting that I just wouldn't have known. And so when I go down there now, like it might be that I'm benching a little bit less than I otherwise would have, which is already pretty dismal. Jeez. Can it get any worse? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm actually having to have like reverse bands just to do the bar. <laughs> but, um, but like, even though things are like suffering a little bit in that respect, I'm also just, I'm learning stuff and I'm, I'm having chances to say like, how can I make my training productive in spite of these limitations? And that's really enjoyable for me. Yeah. Um, and the other
1: thing is it gives you like a positive outlook into when you get back into a proper setup and a proper gym that things might feel, you know, five or 10% better. Yeah. Which yeah. is always like something to look forward to.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. But, um, but yeah, in terms of how, like how those changes have impacted my motivation the, like with nationals, probably not going ahead and stuff like a little bit, but I still like, that's not the thing that makes me go to the gym day by day. Like that's the, that's like the reward for going to the gym day to day. But like, but the things that draw me back are the chances to get better and stuff. And like the avenues that I was seeing to get better, are like they disappeared for me when the gyms closed. Like for instance, um, my deadlift is probably feeling as strong as it's ever felt right now. But my grip strength is just feeling terrible, and so I'm moving weights really, really easily, and then dropping them. That's pissing me off. Um, but prior to the gym's closing, I was like, okay, I got a really, like, I got a really solid, solid like plan to improve myself based around that. You know, like we were talking about doing some heavy holds. I had access to nice Samtech bars, which have great grip. So I was like, cool. I'm going to work on that. See where I can take my deadlift. Like, you know, I've got so much momentum. Whereas now, like. I don't have enough plates at my disposal to do a remotely challenging deadlift and I don't have chalk and my bars knurling starts out really wide and isn't very aggressive. So like working on my grip strength and seeing my top end deadlift strength improve isn't there, but that doesn't mean that there's not something productive that I can do in the absence of it. Does that make sense? Definitely. And like, I've even found
1: that during this time it's forced me to do things that I would usually avoid. Like, um, like for instance, for back training, like I, I, really like doing well i really don't like doing rows like barbell rows mm-hmm. i really don't like doing pull-ups and stuff i would prefer to do like machine rows or like a lap or something And it's kind of forced me to do what i've avoided which is generally going to be something which is a weakness yeah and like you know stuff like core training or like even even like accessory leg work like we yeah. don't have a leg extension a leg curl for me to just like have my volume on so now i need to work on my like single leg stability and my like, do some lunges and stuff like that that I dislike.
0: Yeah, and I think um, I think it's easy when you are like when you're gifted, just like heaps of equipment and really favorable circumstances to train. It's easy to like use that as a crutch for actually developing like competency as a trainer. And like you and I don't really have very severe limitations. We got like barbells and heaps of plates. But when you are working with less equipment and you actually have to figure out like how can I do this exercise effectively so that it's challenging? So I feel the target muscle groups. Like what can I learn about my execution? How can I, how can I like develop better body awareness and stuff when you're forced to do that with less stuff, you just become like a more competent, better trainer. And then you can take that into, into when you have machines at your disposal and things as well. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, so that's us with motivation and training. Um, But what about our clients? What are some of the things, what are some of the things in your case that you're doing with your clients to try and help like create some motivation and overcome those specific barriers we spoke about? Well, I think the first one is reframing the goals.
1: So obviously the prior goal was, you know, for most of my, um, for most of my clients, it's competing in powerlifting competitions, you know, for 90% of them plus. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously that's all up in the air. We don't really have a specific competition to work to. We don't really know when, Comments will be, um, and for some people, they have severe uh, limitations with their equipment, and they're not going to be able to even, you know, they're not going to be able to build strength or build muscle with what they have. So they need to, you know, change what their goals are and reframe sort of the purpose of training. So I think that's been um, the first thing, is is um basically like picking up on the low hanging fruit. So for some people, it might be like now that we're social distancing, we can't go out and see friends and get distracted and go out eating and go out drinking. So now might be a good time for someone to do a diet, lose some body fat, um, which, you know, may have been the previous circumstances may have been inhibiting them doing that. Um, You know, me being a good example of that.
0: I was going (laughs) to say, not easy with your clients to say, Hey man, I've been telling you, like I've been thinking you're looking pretty porky for a long time and and now we can finally put the hammer down and fix it. Yeah. Um,
1: or, you know, like, just like I mentioned, like some of the neglected areas that in my training, like such as my balance or stability, my core training, stuff like that, you know, we can still do that with limited equipment or it might be your work capacity or it might be, you know, just getting better at tracking your nutrition or, you know, finding out an area within that individual that can do some work and then trying to like put more resources into that while we have less resources for other stuff.
0: So for me, like even with the absence of equipment and stuff, for most people, it's pretty easy for me to give them like a good, like physiological training theory rationale as to why they could do certain training and why it would be productive, you yep. know, cause like, that's not really that hard to do. If you go to a powerlifter and say, whatever it is, like, Hey, we don't have access to very many heavyweights, but you're really limited in X, Y, and Z movement capacities and it's going to improve your squat. If we can, you know, control your core more and express more hip internal rotation and training on one leg and doing more ab work is going to improve that heaps. And Hey, we can do that with dumbbells. Like you can say that and that's great. But the, like for most people, that's not sufficient for them to get like the level of buy-in that you get for powerlifting training. Cause people are like, they're not drawn to powerlifting training mostly because they think like physiologically it's right for them. They're drawn to it by something emotional. So with a lot of my clients, I'm trying to have discussions about like, hey, what would you actually like to do? Like, what's something, what's something that's valuable to you? Or like, how can I tie the attainment of these new goals to something that I know is important for them? And so, you know, so sometimes that means not even talking about their training to begin with and just saying like, you know, how's the rest of your life? Like what's going on? what like what are some things that like you would like to get out of training and sometimes i'll say man i just like to be able to switch off for a while and do something that's like effortful but just quiet and for myself and when you have somebody say that to you maybe then you can shift your focus from being like what's going to make this person a better powerlifter now and say well like you know hey there's a couple of modes of exercise that really lend themselves to that like why don't we get you going for a jog in the park or whatever it happens to be so so that's been number one is like trying to find trying to find like an emotional anchor first and then attaching the like rationale to that. Or if I can't do that and like trying to find something that's like emotionally important about, about the new goal based on the training, but like emotions matter. That's been number one thing. Yeah. and You're
1: right. I've had a lot of my clients come to me and say like, Oh, you know, now might be a good time for me to do X. And that kind of shows to me like that that's, maybe a priority for them or that's something that they've been wanting to do for a while, but doing powerlifting comps has held them back from doing that. Like I had a client tell me that he wanted to go like work up to doing 10 K runs. Yeah. I was like, cool. Like like we can, we can make that happen. Like now's the best time to do that.
0: Yeah. And in fact, just on the running thing, probably like I've gone from prescribing cardio to maybe like 10% of my clients to prescribing cardio in the past few weeks to maybe 55, 60% of my clients. And it's not just because like I run out of ideas for things to do body weight, but just for a lot of people, like having a cardio component to their workouts makes them feel better and healthier, makes them feel less cooped up. And it's just something you can just switch off and do. And it can make training, like I know everybody complains about cardio, but it can actually make training really enjoyable to just have something where it's like, okay, whack in a podcast and pedal on the bike. Or, you know, do some intervals and get a sweat up. Like it's, yeah, a lot of people are doing cardio right now. And when you're training for enjoyment, I think being able to tick off both the strength and cardio component is really important for lots of people. And also like
1: doing cardio is an excuse for you to get outside of the house, get some fresh air, look at some greenery, improve mental health, all those kind of things. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, you know, one of the, one of the things that's helped me a lot is, you know, every morning I take the dog for a walk. And if I don't have Chrissy with me, I'll put a podcast in and I'll just, you know, walk for an hour mm. and it makes me feel great. And like, that's something that anyone can do anytime, so long as you're on your own, isolated, and have a dog plus pet. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually,
0: I think we spoke it's, about it. It's this. not even
1: like, it's not even the fact that I have a dog that I do it. It's like, I, it really helps me. It's just like he enjoys it as well. Yeah, And like, you know, even on Friday, um, Chrissy's sister has a friend she as well, Lenny, who comes over and, you know, he comes over on Thursday night and they, he sleeps over and then they go out with the dog walker and they just play with a bunch of other dogs for a few hours on Fridays. So on Friday, I'll go walk on my own and it's like equally as good as it would be with us.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I was going to say, I think we spoke about this, but one of my old lecturers at Sydney uni, um, his name was Emmanuel Stamatakis. Um, and a lot of girls had a crush on him because he was like, he was like a quite handsome um, Latin guy. Um, and he was, he was researching, um, he was researching like not just dog walking specifically, but like the health benefits of owning pets. And apparently like having a dog he was finding was correlated to so many like healthy behaviors and healthy outcomes, which I can totally imagine just from like stress reduction and promoting physical activity and things like that. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. Um, I completely have forgotten the actual topic.
1: Chrissy um, sent me a screenshot of this blue Frenchie and it was yeah. like needing an home and we were like so close to getting it.
0: Yeah. This is good.
1: Now I'm following. Too. Yeah. Now I'm following this, this particular page that like is a breeding page and I'm waiting on like a message back. Cause I think we're going to get a second dog. So everyone you, hit, you heard it here first. Crazy high, high chance.
0: That's crazy.
1: Um, now, like is the best time to raise a dog. Yeah, you be home, home a lot. Yeah, you can just like tr- you can train it a few times a day.
0: Yeah, but like potential for separation anxiety when you go back to normal work, or if you go back to normal work, yeah, could be pretty high. That's one thing to consider. Um, but yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And people can foster dogs, guys. While we're on this, like Alex and I, both animal lovers, you can you can foster dogs from rescue dogs while you're in home isolation. It's a really good thing to do. It gives them a happy life. So maybe do that. Um, so we were talking about getting around the barriers to exercise. One of the big ones you mentioned was like the social aspect of training and losing that. Yep. So for my own clients, I'm hosting at the moment, it's biweekly. I might even put a third one on, but it's zoom catch ups that are optional. But I just, I say, look, I'm going to be on zoom for an hour. Here's the meeting link, jump in. And like, you know, we use it as a chance to talk about, talk about like our training barriers and what's going well and so on. as well. And also just have like random discussion and for people to meet people um, and mm. feel like they still have a bit of a social outlet around training. But something I'm trying to get them to do as well is like share more of their lifting in my Facebook groups and things like that as well. Just so, just so you do have that, um, that social support network. And I've had, um, I've had one or two clients who I've suggested this to take it a bit further where um, something I did, in the first week was I tried broadcasting my training live on, on IG live and I ended up getting pretty sick of it. Um, because I felt like I was talking the whole time and I literally didn't catch my breath for like an hour. Um, but also like I just wanted some privacy and wanted to film my training. So I stopped. Um, but I suggested to a couple of them who are much more extroverted, Hey, like you could probably do that or like even have Zoom running and just Zoom your training to a couple of your training partners and chat in, in between sets and things. But like, you know, actually create a bit more of a social environment using technology if you can. And that seems to have helped a couple of them, particularly uh, as evidenced by a couple of them actually taking up that idea and doing it. So so those are a couple of other things. Are you doing anything to try and like keep your, your group social, like keep them cohesive?
1: Yeah, I'm going to organize a... Um... I haven't done this yet, but I'm going to organize like a Friday afternoon drinks thing and everyone yeah. can, everyone can jump in and have a drink together.
0: <laughs> I love just it that a you're a health professional and your like, catch up is centered around alcohol. That's what we do, man. And
1: rack. anyone out there who likes, anyone out there who likes beers and, uh, and powerlifting, Team Hayes is the one for you.
0: Yeah, well, this At this rate, it's actually just beers and cardio by the sounds of things, which that's my worst nightmare, <laughs> <Yeah>. but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, um, the other thing is, I, I did the little push up challenge, which I um, issued out to everyone on Instagram who follows me. Um, so every Wednesday, which is today, well, not when you're listening to this, but every Wednesday, you do an AMRAP um, in whatever style of push ups you like. Um, and then every day for the next six days until Wednesday again, you do three sets of 50% of your AMRAP. And then you retest your AMRAP again each week. Every single day? Um,
0: every day 3 sets of 50%. I haven't been doing them every day man. I've been doing it like every training day. Oh, you got to do them every day, bro. Well, I'm winning the push-up challenge, probably because of my superior fatigue management. How many did I do in week 1, tell the people.
1: I am not even going to I'm not even going to um, engage in that absolute nonsense. Will's been spamming my page. I need to delete you from the page. <laughs>
0: I mean, I'm in Alex's client group page and all I do is respond to the push-up challenge with like 50 to 60 more push-ups than anybody else has performed in the group every single time. And it's gotten something pretty ridiculous. I think I said I was doing 150 push-ups or something last time. So yeah, you should probably delete me because I'm just going to keep going up and up and up until I'm at like 500 and then change to one arm.
1: Consider yourself gone.
0: <laughs> um, The... <clears throat> You did sort of mention the idea of like creating rituals around home and managing your time better as well with training. That's something I've spoken to a few of my clients about as well. I think that's really, really good advice is like thinking what about your old gym rituals? Can you just transplant to at home? Like, can you put time aside in your day that if you're dedicated training time at the start of the day, can you plan your meals and stuff around it so that you still feel directed? I think that stuff really helps too.
1: Yeah. And then- yeah, I mean, one thing, one thing that I like to do, um, and I've done this, I do this every day anyway is write down my to do list and the times I'm going to do stuff. So like, um, always be always put when I train in first, when my clients are next, when I'm going to do certain programs, which programs I'm going to do, um, video feedback. And then I just tick them off as I go. And I think that's a good thing to get in the habit of doing now. If you're not already doing that is like just planning your day out, giving yourself little, um, time goals. Because I think if you write something down and you say, okay, I'm going to do something for the next thirty minutes, that 30 minutes is going to be more productive than if you just like randomly on a whim, oh, okay, I'll do this now.
0: Yeah. I actually have been doing that myself as well, but I don't write time goals around my to-do list. And I also always start my to-do list with a couple of things I've already done. Cause then I just get some ticks. And you know how in school when you got your exercise book back marked in primary school, you felt so good when you got ticks.
1: Well, I always write feed ACE, walk ACE. That's the first two things I write every single day.
0: Yeah. Easy. That's just, that's money. Cause you know, you're already going to do it. Like I write half breakfast, like, and nice. it's usually post breaky, but like, um, I already just start my day with a sense of achievement, you know? Um, so that's good. Um, something else I wrote down that I thought was really interesting. Oh, actually, I didn't mention this one, and this is actually like my my biggest like bugbear slash thing that I hop on about all the time, which is um, which is reminding my clients as well, not in a like talking down to them way, but just reminding them that we're still lucky to be able to train at all. And I think um, I think when you start framing training to people as being like a privilege that you're able to do because your lifestyle allows it, like you might not have access to everything, but you're lucky enough to have access to the things that you do. And we still have the opportunity to set goals and work towards them and like see improvement. And isn't it cool that that in spite of everything else going around in the world, you can still improve yourself through this avenue. Um, I find that like having that discussion with almost anybody seems to make them value the training that they do a little bit more. Like if you have that mindset around training, rather than using the exact word you... Used before was a chore rather than thinking of training as like a chore that you have to do just so you don't die young or something if you start thinking more in terms of like i'm lucky to do this this is something i'm doing for myself and look at all the things that i can achieve um then just the process of going and training just seems natural because like why wouldn't you if you were given you're literally being given a gift
1: you know yeah and it's, it's the same thing that you can apply that logic to even when you have like full access to a gym. Like, you know, even if you're having a, a lull in training motivation, it might be like, you might be thinking like, oh, I have to squat 160 kilos today. Whereas you should be thinking like, I get to squat 160 kilos today. Like if I think if you frame it like that, you can get a much more powerful sort of positive feeling when you walk into the gym.
0: Yeah. Big time. Like the, the thing I always say is like, Exercise is the only hobby I know where people people complain about it being hard instead of talking about all the good things about it all the time. Like I always say, you know, surfers don't complain about like the water being cold. They talk about how lucky they are to surf good waves and like how much fun they're having. You know, guitarists don't talk about their fingers hurting. They talk about like, you know, how relaxing it is to play music and cool it is to jam with your mates and stuff like that. Like you know, it's fine to be aware of the things that are hard in your hobby or the things that the things that are challenging you about it, but you should never lose sight of the things that make it really, really good as well because it is a hobby and it's something you're choosing to do. And so choosing to complain about it and not focus on all the really good things that drew you to it is just like a one-way road to dissatisfaction.
1: And also if you, if you really only thought about the negative things, you wouldn't be doing it in the first place. So going back to your roots of like why you're doing this in the first place is a good way to think about like how lucky and grateful we are to be able to do this anyway.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and particularly at a time like this, to be able to say like, what are all the things that are important to me about training other than just hitting one RMs is like, that's probably going to do a lot to direct you towards the training that you're going to most value now. Um, two RMs? <laughs> but look, if you do that, but then you keep counting to like 40 or 50 RMs, then we're like in the ballpark of a lot of people's setups. right? <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. Um, Next question I wrote down was like, when are some other times that you or your clients have reported decreased motivation? And is there anything like, like analogous or useful about those experiences when you look back to them now?
1: I think the big one is when someone gets a little injury and you know, they may have a couple of weeks off uh, barbell squats or off barbell deadlifts or something like that. And you have to find a solution and you have to find sort of an alternative that keeps them ticking along and you know staying positive about, the process of training itself. Mm. Um, I think that's probably the most analogous thing to where we're at now. Um, but you know, like I've kind of always been sort of pretty like midline as far as motivation goes. Like I never have huge spikes and never have massive lulls. I'm always kind of just like always turn up, always do the thing. So for me, like probably not the right person to ask. How about yourself?
0: Um, I mean, I, personally like my my biggest like troughs in training motivation have been basically because like my work leaks into my training too much and it stops being stops being me time um but that's me personally and when i think about my clients though you mentioned injury um and injury is definitely like definitely a big one that hits people for six And you do have to use a lot of the same like problem solving skills with an injured athlete that we have to now just based on like working around limitations. But the difference with injury is that there is that like, there's that carrot hanging at the end of the stick saying like soon you can return to your normal training. But that's also something that like can feed into them feeling bad because they see other people around them in their normal gym doing all the things that they would otherwise do. And so you've got to like, Um, you know, that like that can really sting for people. So you got to like figure out how you're going to use their environment to be motivating and supporting, you know, like should they be training with their friends like they normally do so they maintain that sense of connection? Like, can you frame, can you frame the disappointment that they might have in watching other people hitting PBs while they're doing rehab in a positive light? Like that's different to the current circumstance, but the idea of working around limitations isn't. But then the other two really big ones, really big ones that I've seen with clients are uh, like competition disappointment and and out of training stress. And so like I've, I've had a couple of clients who like build themselves up, like base everything on their performance in a, in a competition that's coming up. And then for one reason or another, they just have a bit of a shitter of a day. Or even if they don't have like a bad, bad day, they just don't quite live up to their expectations or desires. And suddenly when that like when that massive draw card is pulled away from them, and they didn't even get the return that they wanted from it. Their motivation really plummets. Yeah, I've
1: found for people who have subpar performances, it often um, results in a spike in motivation as they want to make up for it.
0: Yeah, well, I've had people double down, but like, but sometimes as well, that that disappointment is, or sorry, that like poor performance is almost like a symptom of burnout, you know, as well. So like, an example is Chrissy. After nationals last year, she was like, she was kind of disappointed in how she lifted on the day. She'd dealt with she'd had a prep that was like successful ish but quite hard, and she'd dealt with some niggling injuries. She just didn't feel like she had her best ever day on the comp like at the comp. And the first thing she wanted to do was back away from powerlifting for a while. And you know, she she switched gears because she had like a productive mentality of what's something I'm going to enjoy that's different and like how can I be constructive about my lack of motivation for powerlifting but her her motivation for powerlifting was way down right but I think in that instance it was like
1: okay what can I do that's gonna keep me working really really hard that's gonna help me be a better powerlifter later on so it's like it's just a step away from the eventual goal of like you know getting back on the platform productively
0: sure but, but it's, that...
1: find, it's finding another avenue to sort of
0: accelerate that, um, performance later on. Yeah. But what that, like that problem solving process that you just described to me, that's something that she came to me with because she's got like good self-management skills. Whereas normally that would be your job as a coach, right? Is like, if a client came to you and said, I feel really burnt out on powerlifting. I don't want to do this anymore. Oftentimes you would have to say, well, Hey, like, why don't we switch gears? Like, I know you want to get jacked. Let's do a bit of that. Like we know it can help you in the future. And you're doing that problem solving process that we're having to do for clients now so Chrissy's case is kind of unique because she's knowledgeable and she manages herself well but the way she feels and the solutions i don't think are unique um i don't know how analogous that competition disappointment necessarily is to today's environment although i think i think dealing with like having a having a motivating end end goal sort of just drop away from you is something something that a lot of people are experiencing now if they were prepping for comps and then out of training stress um, definitely relates to definitely relates to the now Um, obviously because a lot of people are experiencing it Um, I train a lot of PTs so for a lot of them their income is down there's a lot of uncertainty about what their jobs gonna be like whether their clients will stay with them if their jobs also go things like that too. And, you know, just generally pretty much anybody who has a job right now is wondering whether they're going to still have their job soon. Mm. Um, So I guess dealing with like when people have out of training stress, that's impacting their training motivation. Other than like trying to look on the bright side in their training, we also start making accommodations in like the type of training we prescribe, you know, both in terms of like subjective sense of like, you know, what are we training for? what types of goals are we seeing? And also in the um, in the sense of like, how much work do we give them and how much do we factor in the fact that they are stressed um, in terms of how difficult training is and how much volume they do and stuff like that too. And I think to some degree that does feed into how I'm thinking about the current situation. Would you say it's similar? Yeah, I would. Um, I think
1: the big thing that we haven't really touched on yet is sanity and mental health during this time. And I think like the way I've framed a lot of people was training. Like I have a little thing at the top of each training block says goal of training block. Mm. And for most people, the first thing I've written is like, keep saying or prevent sanity, stuff like that. It's like super important right now that like we are doing something to take your mind off all the bullshit that's going on around us. And like all the doom and gloom.
0: Yeah. But again, I think, um, like it's a, I think it's a kind of dispositional factor. Like you, you, the way in which you frame training is really individual. And some people look at training as an outlet or an avenue where they are away from stress and it's something that they're enjoying and that they're lucky to do. And some people look at training as an additional stress and something where they're really caught up in trying to maximize their productivity. And if they're not able to do it well, it actually adds stress to them. And in some ways, I think coaching people to view training the way that I was speaking about earlier as like a privilege, and looking for extra value outside of just your results can help shift the shift the gears towards training, being an outlet and something enjoyable, Mm -hmm. but it still does take emotional energy to train really hard. And so if your emotional energy is being drained by bad news around you, stress from your job, stress from your family, things like that too, then I still do think we need to make some accommodations. So it might not be just like, cool, do this and switch off. It might be saying, well, like let's make training a little bit easier. Let's give you more choice or more direction, whichever whichever end of the spectrum there you sit. But things like that, like we actually have to make qualitative changes to accommodate that. And, and also like it goes back to what we
1: we're talking about earlier with like having clients coming to us with stuff that they want to do, mm. which is separate from what they've been doing in the past. Like it might be, that might be an opportunity for you to say, okay, well, what would make you like happy now? What would de-stress you now? Okay, you want to go for a half an hour run? Off you go. Like do that.
0: Yeah, I think that actually is a segue into the final question I had written down, which was like, which was how has our role as a coach changed? And I think what you just described sort of like, sort of describes the shift that I'm trying to undergo generally as a coach, which is that like, I'm trying to view myself more as somebody who my clients can come to to like help collaborate with them on solutions and being like a facilitator rather than somebody who just dictates to them the training to do. And like, obviously that like, they're still relying on my expertise to try and get them better and give them information and shit like that. But I don't think, I don't think our role as coaches right now should necessarily be literally just tell our clients what to do and presume we know the best for them. It should be to say to them, Hey, like I've got your best interests at heart you know, and I want to work with you to find a solution that's going to get us through this period productively. And like, you can use me to lean on for emotional support and for knowledge so that we can make good decisions. But like, let's work together on this. It's not, it's not just on me to tell you what to do. do you know, that's true. Definitely, man. Um, that's not what I had written down for that question, but I
1: completely agree with you there. Um, what was the actual question exactly? Word for word. Cause I've just written some like pretty vague notes.
0: <laughs> so the, the question wasn't yeah. actually entirely on that, but it's as a coach, what are these changes meant to you? Are there opportunities or positives in it for you? And what are some challenges you've faced? Well, the
1: challenges I've faced have been like, this has addressed some issues that I have in my coaching system. Like, you know, particularly when it comes to creativity and like getting an outcome with, with very little and talking about mostly like equipment and like, you know, being creative with exercises and stuff like that. Like that's something that I've very, very much neglected in the last few years because like, you know, my role as a powerlifting coach means, you know, my band, the band of things that I draw from are quite small and it's quite like, everything's quite basic and boring. So that's been something that has like smacked me in the face the first few days It's like, fuck what, how am I going to get an effective workout out of a dumbbell? Like, I'm like literally racking my brain at first. Like what the fuck am I doing? Um, but the, the big opportunity for me has been like learning those things and exploring those things, you know, whether that be like me spend a little bit extra time in the garage, like trying to figure out some new exercises or spending time on, um, on other people's um, spreadsheets with exercises that they've done and tracking those out or whether it's for me to just like have extra time now to learn and improve my system. And that's the other thing that I'm doing is like, I'm going to start doing the JPS mentorship thing. So I'm starting that this week. And um, yeah, I'm hoping that I can gather something from that over the course of the however many months it takes me to do it that I can bring back to my own clients and help the service that I provide. Are you going to use Chrissy's
0: affiliate code for the JPS thing? No, I've got my own. Oh, what I was going to say—that's the biggest gouge of all time—is like pay your missus to do somebody else's course. That's unreal. Well, uh, I think
1: I've got—I've got, I've got my own login. It's all good.
0: Right. Um, I think for me, wait—are you doing the powerlifting one or the other one?
1: No, the other one—the PT one.
0: Oh, okay. Um, the backwards. I look. I'm going to be honest, I, I, yeah, I see. I saw what you read. Um, I saw what you wrote. Yeah. Um, for me, like, obviously, like similar challenges to you in the, the majority of my training, the majority of my training, I was able to sort of like have sketched out for a lot of my clients a long way in advance. And then like the, the small changes and the nip and tuck and stuff I would make on a block by block place basis. But it was pretty easy for me to say, you know, this is my client that I've been training for a year. They're doing pretty well. No big changes really need making. We're just going to address problems as they come up and bring them into their comp that's coming up and like plans were there. And then when the gym's closed and stuff, I obviously had to upend a lot of that stuff and go through that process that I spoke about before of like finding new goals, dealing with people's changes of circumstance and equipment and stuff. So that's been difficult. And then also a bit like what you said, is it's just a big challenge to, like, my self-concept when a lot of people view me as a specialist powerlifting coach, even though, like, I do have more strengths to my bow than that. But, like, you know, I'm defined by my ability to, to train athletes, like elite strength sports athletes for strength sports. And so, so trying to, like, reframe my services to people as being about more than that, if, like, if they weren't sort of already aware of it, has been hard, too. Um, but also just in the way that I think of myself and my work, it's been hard um, because many of my athletes up until now would be like totally fine from a motivational perspective, like not really needing a whole lot from me emotionally, but needing a lot of like just general feedback and like training, planning help. Whereas now some of those same athletes are coming to me and talking about motivation and stuff in ways that they haven't. So, so it's, it's challenging me like as a coach and a person, but in good ways um, to improve the other, that. And, oh, you go on. The other thing on on the um,
1: competition stuff is like, that's my favorite part of coaching is like the last few weeks of a prep, like making those changes along the way to get the best result on the day. Mm. And then the actual game day coaching, like, you know, all the decisions that we make and all the things that we do on the day itself. So like having those taken away from me has felt like left me like a little bit, um a little bit like upset about you know what my role is now because i don't have that like huge piece of what makes my job
0: so fun and enjoyable and yeah also challenging as well yeah for sure um those have been the challenges or like the changes but then as far as positives go similar to you is like it's bought me a lot of time to do things that i would like to do um you know i'm <sighs> I need to actually get a bit more productive and start writing more lists day by day. But like, I want to improve my Excel templates so that like when I send clients a program, it's exciting to look at. And it also like works better and streamline the way in which I do my online service just generally so that I can do like deliver a slicker product more efficiently. So like I'm taking the time to do that. I want to develop a mentorship for coaches. Um, That's something that I wanted to do for a while but it's always been one of those things that I push into the never, never because like I'm normally kind of busy now I'm not that busy. So I can do things like that. I'm, you know, spending more time reading, I'm calling my friends, I'm playing more music. Um, you know, I'm doing like, I'm streaming to Twitch at the moment just for fun. Just for to... one of those phone calls, mate. I rang you like <laughs> literally three times in the past week. No, I'm not joking. Um, but like, <laughs> but I'm, I'm exploring a lot of other opportunities for myself, the person, and my business to try and like expand a little bit. And I'm trying to look for, for skills that are going to be useful for me as a coach, but also just like in general so that I can actually deliver better services. So, you know, if I do get more competent with Excel and with things like Twitch and video editing and hosting stuff like that, I can put together really comprehensive coaching services in the future. So I might as well now like dive in and take every opportunity at my disposal to just just play around and try something because I still do have a stable base of clients that I'm earning an income from. I still do have like a stable base of work that I'm going to have to do every week. But then it's like I've yep. got all this free time that I would otherwise be dedicating to running sessions in the gym or whatever that I can that I can invest in doing things that I know are going to pay off or that I don't know are going to pay off but it might be fun might teach me something or might help me in the future. And so I'm really, I'm looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to to taking the skills that I learn managing my clients through this period into helping them when they do have full access to a gym and just being a more complete coach. So in that way, it's actually kind of good.
1: Now might be a time to do small of junior for your bench press, Will.
0: Yeah, maybe. I actually did do modified small of junior um, way back in the day. I think this was pre- pre you doing it, um, joining Adonis, but, but Doug and I both basically ran small old junior and I died. I didn't, I didn't finish it after like three weeks and we actually started, I think with more conservative percentages, but we also had like additional pressing and things too. So it was like just crazy amounts of pressing. I couldn't get through it. Um, Mm. so maybe that's not the answer. Who'd have thought, um, Mm. crazy Russian programs. They don't always work. I'm considering making a rule though at home that every time I walk past the bench, I bench the empty bar 12 times.
1: Well, I was going to say, you've got all this time now. You might as well bench every day, right? Yeah. Bulgarian, Bulgarian bench press? Bulgarian
0: berk bench
1: berk. Do like three sessions a day like they used to do. One, one uh, comp grip, one mid grip, one close grip, just, just to a max every single time.
0: Yeah, but they all have to be mid-grip or closer because I can't unrack the bar. Okay. Well, I'll um, work on we'll, it. We'll,
1: well, add in overhead press or
0: something. <laughs> Fire out. Overhead press daily max. I reckon my shoulders will explode. All right. Um, um, we, um, we, had, we had one more question that we didn't get to. Oh, did we? I haven't scrolled yeah, down.
1: What do you now most value or look forward to about
0: training? Oh, do you consider lower motivation now as temporary? Um... What do I now look forward to most about training? A little bit of what I already said, that like that opportunity to sort of like discover new things to improve my execution in the way that I'm lifting now, um, like that just refinement within the constraints that I have on me, I look forward to that. And also, I just as a person, I was talking to a mate about this earlier, I just feel really shitty when I don't move. Like one of the things I like about my job is that I spend hours every day just on my feet walking around. And so my body always feels pretty good as a result. Whereas now, like I feel like I'm sitting on my ass all the time and I feel shit. And so when I go and train, it's just a couple of hours where like I'm being active, my body's moving, it feels good. So I really look forward to that basically. I feel great when I train. What about you? Um, What I mentioned earlier, which was just like working on what the weaknesses that
1: I have... That are like quite glaring and affect my main lifts. Like my um, my core strength is fucking shit. Um, my hip stability and my unilateral leg training is so weak. Um, so those things are probably for me like physically what I'm looking forward to. But what I'm actually looking forward to the most is knowing when nationals is in is and fucking when the gyms are going to open again, so I can track like train with all the boys properly again. <laughs> Like, man, like what I what I'm, what I, I enjoyed the most was like everyone prepping for the same comp and like turning up and doing sort of like similar training in the same environment, like everyone sort of getting around each other. That's what I look forward to the most about gyms getting better is like having that vibe and that environment. Um, and I, I honestly think that like we're going to have a huge, everyone's going to have a huge resurgence in motivation when gyms opening and, and people are going to be going fucking hard like harder than ever it'll be like everyone's a junior again the last year of juniors with like six months to go before breaking a record that's like 30 kilos too heavy
0: now's the time to be a physio then (laughs) because there's going to be a lot of injured lifters coming in all right we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and do underrated overrated properly rated
1: Welcome back to Weekly Weights. This is episode 96 and we're going to do overrated, underrated, properly rated. I'm going to go first. Will, you ready? Yeah, mate. Overrated, underrated, properly rated training partners.
0: Nice one. Um, properly rated, uh, like I don't think that they're underappreciated. I think Oh, actually it depends. It kind of depends who you are, but I'm going to say like net balance properly rated. So most people who train with a training partner know that it's helpful and productive. It's good to feel motivated. Like as in presuming you don't have a shit training partner, it's good to feel motivated. Good to have somebody to cue you properly, help you make better training decisions. It's nice to have social connections in the gym. We've just spent a whole podcast talking about that. So that's good. Um, And I don't think like, I don't think anybody thinks like their partner lifts the weights for them or anything like completely outrageous or things that like they can't train productively without a partner, but pretty much everyone appreciates them being there. And there's good reason to think that a training partner is like beneficial. And in fact, like the closest thing that I can think of in research to this is some research on, um, on people's exercise performance in or not in the, um, in the presence, sorry, of a personal trainer where like people way outperform their peers in both strength and aerobic exercise when they have a personal trainer with them. And I suppose you could put a partner in the same category. So I think pretty much everyone appreciates that a partner is beneficial. Um, and the reason I don't say that they're underrated is pretty much, um, sorry, the reason I don't, the reason I don't think, the reason I don't say they're underrated is because not many people wouldn't want a partner for the benefits that a partner can give them most of the time you know what i mean so i think probably properly rated you
1: i think they're slightly underrated only because i think it's so good having training partners
0: yeah but like in as far as it is so good having training partners like that might just be the proper rating of how good having a training partner is just good well,
1: I guess, I guess what I mean is that I think that they're better than I would say the majority of people would think that they are.
0: Right, but that's just your subjective judgment.
1: Yes, but that's exactly what this game is.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll wear that. <laughs> All right, Alex. Underrated, overrated, properly rated? Whey – sorry, not weight, casein, protein powder? Overrated. Go. Well –
1: I mean, total, total protein intake is going to matter more than anything else. And I think really think the digestion being slower really matters at all. And it's way more expensive than way.
0: And yeah, it's pretty much it. So just basically it's not that good. I, um, I kind of agree, but I also don't fully agree. Like as in, I think it's overrated to be honest. Like, like you said, digestion speed probably doesn't really matter that much when you consider like you can just eat protein in a mixed meal and it'll be slow enough anyway, like whatever. Um, also little known facts about casein. It, it, um, so different proteins, different proteins have different properties when put in water. Um, Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really mix very well at all. And the reason is that, um, that, when you like amino acids, they all have, they have like side chains on them. And that's how the different amino acids are different. Cause they have like a, a basic skeleton or like a spine that's the same for all of them. And then a chemical chain off the side and different chemical chains have different properties, um, different properties. And that's how proteins get their shape. So like some will be more or less attracted to each other. Some will repel or be attracted to water and so on. And it just so happens that, that casein's particular arrangement doesn't like to dissolve, so having a casein shake fucking sucks. Like, if you put it in milk, it's kind of okay because having the clumps is all right. But in water, just because it doesn't like to mix, it's terrible. But where it does get really good because it doesn't it doesn't dissolve as easily is casein put in like yogurt. If you're going to top up your yogurt with protein powder, casein shits on way for that. It's so much better. You have that?
1: You make like you make like a pudding.
0: Yeah, it literally like thickens up so much. It's just so so good. Whereas whey, it just like kind of doesn't add anything to the experience.
1: Yeah, I mean the only other positive is that it keeps you a little bit fuller for longer. So if you do if you do have it before bed, you could probably put off your first meal the next day a little bit longer. Yeah, my um with that with that said, it's not worth like one and a half to two times the price of regular whey just for that benefit. So overrated.
0: Well, because I'm spoiled, I have both um, in my house. You buy it for you, mate? No, I actually buy it for me. Um, that's a business that's expense, only, mate.
1: <laughs> that's the only grocery shopping you do? Yeah, 100%. Um, and getting fucking crust delivered?
0: Yeah, big time. But that goes on mum's PayPal for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, nah, I have both, but I literally only use casein in my yogurt. But that's how much better I think it is in yogurt than white, which is massively underappreciated. Alex is literally just nodding his head. That's all I have to say on, on way versus K-S1. All right, dude. Um, I'm done. Alex looks like he's already brought out the books to study. You listening, man. I was just crossing off my to-do list podcast oh. episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well done, mate. I'll edit this one and upload it for you. You can just give yourself a nice big tick on the piece of paper. Fucking flog. All right, guys. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been weekly weights. I'm will at W. Berkman PT.
1: I'm Alex, Alex underscore process. Oh, and also now we have an Instagram page.
0: Oh yeah, sorry. Where Will and Alex from?
1: At Weekly Weights Podcast. If you have listened this far, which you probably haven't, you've probably shut the podcast off by now. If you have listened this far and you haven't already followed the Weekly Weights Podcast Instagram page, go and do that. It's just at Weekly Weights Podcast and we will talk to you guys next week.